0: Welcome in to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We're continuing to preview the 2022 Major League Baseball season. Opening day is upon us. We're breaking down the National League in this podcast. To do that, I am joined by the one and only Matt Eddy. Matt, first and foremost, I got to say. Opening day, for my money, is the best day of the year. Uh, I mentioned on the AL podcast, you can have all the other holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas, 4th of July. I think opening day is the one I get the most excited for and most look forward to every year. And especially after an offseason where you have the second longest work stoppage in Major League history, a lot of uncertainty about when would opening day be, how many games are going to be played, what's the structure of the league and the schedule going to look like. A lot of questions, but uh, after all that, it has finally arrived. And uh, I don't know about you, I'm definitely looking forward to the upcoming season.
1: Oh Yeah, without a doubt. You know, we were – we faced some pretty dire consequences or the potential for them in the offseason, but in the end, everything worked out.
0: Matt, the National League, I feel like, has taken a little bit of a backseat to the American League in some ways just in terms of the excitement and looking forward to the season – and I think a big part of that is a lot of people just assume, oh, yep, it's the Dodgers again. They're the best team in the league, and they're going to be the National League champion. Uh, you look at the American League, and you see the White Sox. You see the Astros. You see the Mariners. You see the Blue Jays. And that's just the top four. You have the Rays, Yankees, Red Sox. were all 90-win playoff teams a year ago behind them. Whereas the National League, we, we've seen the Dodgers kind of reign supreme during the regular season. The Braves the defending champions. And oh, by the way, the Giants won 107 games last year. So I I do think there's a lot of talent in this league, but it does seem like it's kind of taken a back seat. Uh, That said, you and I both, as we made our preseason picks, uh, I mentioned as well in the other podcast, the staff picks that are presented in the magazine and online in terms of standings and awards predictions, those are kind of overall staff picks. But here on the podcast, we can discuss our individual selections. Matt, you and I both chose the Dodgers to be the national champion this year. Starting with you, what is it that makes you think that they will be the NL champion this year and reach yet another World Series?
1: Yeah, it's just incredible depth, good management, and just this nearly unprecedented run of success during the regular season that we've seen these past four years in particular. I think that's going to continue into this year. You know, adding Freddie Freeman's huge makes that lineup even more dynamic. They do face more rotation questions than a typical season, a typical Dodgers team is expected to but I think they will prevail
0: yeah it's interesting and we can dive more into this once we get into the NL West discussion I liked last year's Dodgers team a little bit better than I do this year's team but we're still talking about supremely talented teams in the end if the Braves if the back of their rotation was just a little bit stronger I actually would have Maybe pick the Braves once again to win the National League. Um, I do think those are the the clear cut top two teams in the NL with some room to spare right now. With the Dodgers, it's just it's such a dynamic lineup, and I actually liked the AJ Pollock for Craig Kimbrel move, especially just in terms of what that does in terms of making sure. Guys are in the right alignment defensively. Guys are getting enough consistent A-Bs to just help them perform. Uh, making Gavin Lux the everyday second baseman saying, here's everyday at-bats. Don't worry about bouncing around to three different positions. That's what's going to be best for Gavin Lux, both short-term and long-term, and what's best for the Dodgers, both short-term and long-term. I do have questions about the back of this rotation. I want to see if they can get Tony Gonsolin fixed. His command has not been right since they misused him in the 2020 postseason. We can get into Andrew Heaney later. I think he'll be in the bullpen by June. I just That's not a signing that's going to work out. But they have some depth. They signed Tyler Anderson. They have some guys in the minors, whether it's Bobby Miller or Ryan Pepio. Um, you have Dustin May potentially coming back from Tommy John surgery midseason. So there are options here. And, and who knows what's going to happen with Trevor Bauer. But technically, he still is a member of this roster. We'll see what the decision is there. Yeah, this team, when I just look top to bottom, this is the most talented team in the National League. The one thing that concerns me a little bit, you know, we've talked about all those questions at the back of the rotation, and in terms of them being World Series champions, and part of the reason I actually picked the Blue Jays to beat them in the World Series, they're one injury away from only really having two reliable starters. And we saw last year, that's what sunk them in the postseason. By the time they got to the playoffs, they only had three reliable starters and then completely misused one with Julio Urias. That's why I think it's really key for them to make sure they get Godslin right, especially. But that all said, I think the Braves have similar back rotation questions, and you line up the rosters. I think the Dodgers are still the most talented team, and we have them both as a National League champion. And you went ahead and picked Freddie Freeman as your pick for National League MVP. Take us through that decision.
1: Oh well, Hall of Fame caliber hitter. In his peak seasons in this in a lineup that as good as the Braves lineup has been, this Dodgers lineup is better. I think the just the damage he can do, I think will really stand out. I think there will be a, a nice narrative surrounding him, you know, of the homecoming and you know, just just the Dodgers potentially racking up another one hundred win season. I think all of those factors will point to him having success in the voting.
0: I do have to say that Freddie Freeman's from Orange County, not LA County, and he grew up an Angels fan. It's a common thing people do. They see SoCal, they assume LA, different county, different fan alignment. Sorry, I had to mention that, but you're right. He's a tremendous player and a tremendous lineup and has a chance to be a a really, really impactful hitter, like he always is, but especially when you have Mookie Betts, Trey Turner, Max Muncie, Justin Turner all around you. Um, He's going to be in a really good position to succeed. I actually went... The other way, I went to the Braves. I went to Ronald Acuna Jr. Um, he's going to open the year on the IL, but I think once he gets back, he's in position to explode. I think this is going to be the kind of year where, you know, he's been fantastic every season, but we saw him having what was, you know, shaping up to be his best year last year before he suffered that injury in Miami. I think he comes back this year, and we're going to see that over the full season that. 280, 400, 600 with, you know, I mean, he was on pace for almost 50 home runs last year to go with 30-plus stolen bases. Again, there's always concern about whether the knee is fully healed and if he has any sort of regression. But just based off what he was showing last year before he got hurt, he's entering his age 24 season now. I just think he's going to have a monster season, even if it's 140 games he plays and he misses the first couple weeks, misses the first 20-some-odd games. Uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. is, is my pick for National League MVP. The matter on the Young Award side, we have a lot of Dodgers relations here. You went with an ex-Dodger, current Met. Uh, take us through your decision to pick Max Scherzer to be your NL Young Award winner.
1: Oh, it's all about volume here. Uh, I don't know that any other starting pitcher is going to have a lot of it, whereas Scherzer <laughs> is one of the last remaining horses. You know, like a guy you can count on for 200 innings, health permitting. <laughs> um, so – that's, that's really all, mostly what feeds into it. Just that and the, and the city the city field boost is real. Like it's going to make his superficial numbers look better because
0: it is such a favorable favorable pitching environment. Yeah, you talk about volume. For me, I went with Walker Buehler. Pits 207 innings the regular season last year and added another 17 plus in the postseason. I think people understand how good he is, but I almost think they don't understand how good he is at the same time. I mean... I'll just say it straight up. If you were to ask me who is one pitcher I want to start a franchise with active today, it's Walker Buehler. He's 27 years old. He's durable. His stuff is filthy. He's got the attitude where he's just going to come right at you and drive pitches down your throat. He's been fantastic in the postseason. I think we're going to see him ascend. We saw Corbin Burns kind of take a jump last year, a really good pitcher who just became otherworldly last year. I think we're going to see something similar for Walker Bueller this year. And you can argue, you know, Walker Bueller, funny enough, was actually not that far off of Corbin Burns. A lot of what Burns accomplished last year in significantly more innings. To me, I just think this is a guy we're going to talk about starting a run here of where he's, whether he's winning signing awards or he's two, three, four. We see so many pitchers take a jump when they hit 27, 28, 29. That's my pick there. Matt, the one area that we don't have any Dodgers relations whatsoever is our Rookie of the Year picks. Who's your Rookie of the Year pick for this season?
1: Um, O'Neal Cruz. Um, just, yeah, just the outstanding power. You know, he'll get his shot. You know, give him about three weeks in AAA. He'll be up. I think the, you know, the power he's capable of showing, he can make even big parks look small. And I think, I think that's going to play right out of the gate. I mean, there was – Some other guys considered it, and Bryson Stott's a good candidate now, now that he's clearly on the team, but I, I went with Cruz. Who did you pick?
0: I went a little bit off the board and kind of went against my rule of picking rookie pitchers. I went with Hunter Green of the Reds, and the reasons I did that, so first and foremost, he made the opening day roster. I picked that before he made the roster. I just thought that with the Reds making the moves they were going to make, he was going to have a big role early, whether it was in the rotation or bullpen. Now we know it's the rotation. He's got a great pitching coach working with him and Derek Johnson. And I think with Hunter Green, what we've seen is just this consistent improvement. So first and foremost, opportunity. He's on the opening day roster. He's going to be in the rotation from day one and has potential to put up numbers, which at the end of the day is what's going to go a long way in rookie of the year voting. But the only thing with Hunter Green is we've seen him just improve as a pitcher. And I think we're going to continue seeing him improve. So This is going to sound crazy to people. His fastball, which sits 99 to 100 and touches 104, got up to just under 105 last year. It's a very hittable pitch. I know people are going to say, what are you talking about? That's crazy. But at every level of the minors, and even in spring training this year, it got turned around a lot. It's a straight pitch, and batters are able to gear up for it. They know it's coming, and they can cheat a little bit, and it's straight over the heart of the plate, and it gets hit hard. We've seen that. What has changed is his slider took a big jump last year. So now batters couldn't really just cheat on the fastball all the time. They actually had to respect the slider. He was able to land it. He was able to really pitch with it. And then this spring talking to evaluators. So the slider came last year. Now the changeup is coming. Now all of a sudden the changeup is starting to show 55-ish. And what that is going to do and what it's already started doing is help the fastball play even better. All of a sudden now, It's another pitch where batters can't just cheat. Now, again, spring training, he was not great. He got 13 hits in nine innings, uh, seven runs, four homers. So, again, that fastball gets hit. But I think that with the slider improving as it is, the changeup improving as it is, it'll all work together. We'll start to see the fastball start to play better, and all of a sudden you've got three pitches that can do something. He's throwing strikes. He's going to get opportunity. I thought that Hunter Green would win out in an NL rookie field that doesn't look that great. The AL rookie field looks amazing. This is a little bit of a weaker of an NL rookie field. I also want to do something a little different because everyone is picking O'Neill Cruz. To be honest, he probably wins. But I'm interested to see what Hunter Green can do. And I think he has a chance to at least get some votes near the top of the ballot. All right, Matt, with that, I want to dive into the top storylines of the National League this year. We're going to get into division by division breakdowns. Uh, But we're going to start with one of your specialties. You're our Mets guy. You know this organization that really is, frankly, as well as anyone in the country, beat writers included. The Mets spent more than a quarter billion dollars on free agents this offseason, including Max Scherzer, your Cy Young Award pick. I mean, the ultimate question is, does it get them into the playoffs? This is a team that has made big moves year after year after year. And not only have they consistently not made the playoffs since 2016, they have only one winning record in that time. Is this the year the Mets break through and get to the postseason?
1: I will say yes, as a wild card. Um, because, because the rotation is, you know, with the additions of Max Scherzer and Chris Bassett, is stronger, and the lineup is more cohesive. Um, Starling Marte brings a speed element they haven't had. Um, Mark Hanna, Eduardo Escobar them the lineup, I think, Francisco Lindor, James McCann were cowed a little bit by um, City Field last year. I think they'll be better now that they're more accustomed to how it plays. So I think all of these these factors line up for better performance. Now, you know, a wild card team could still be like 87 wins. So, I mean, it's not – I'm not, you know, I'm not predicting 100 wins in, in a championship. But I think
0: it is more likely than not that they will. I will say, I think Francisco Lindor is going to have a big bounce back year. We see this all the time. Guy goes to new league, big contract, new city, especially New York, and and they struggle the first year. But a lot of times they pick it up in year two. So I, I do think Francisco Lindor will have a bounce back year, and, and that will help. Starling Marte, I maintain, is one of the most underrated players in baseball. He's a great player. He's a great addition. I think the defensive alignment is probably a little better this year. Guys maybe playing positions they should actually be playing. And the bench is solid too. So I, I do think there's a lineup here. I am concerned by the fact that already Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer are showing injury concerns. That's that's a pretty scary thing. This is an organization that, as we talked about on the Mets Prospects podcast, does not have pitching depth at all. They have some good position players in the minors, but whatever pitching they have is in the low minors right now. So there's a good rotation here with Chris Bassett, Carlos Carrasco and Tywin Walker are all nice pitchers as your three, four, five. If they're your one, two, three Tyler McGill, who's going to start on opening day, but is, is de facto their number four. And then your number five star is a, a giant shrug. Joey Lucchese out after having Tommy John surgery last June. That concerns me a little bit. And I think we've just seen the Mets so often. It just, it looks right on paper. It looks like it's going to work. And then it just falls completely flat. I don't know. I'm on the fence here. I, I think it really does just come down to do Scherzer and DeGrom stay healthy, or even does one of them stay healthy? If one of them is able to stay healthy and make a full 33 starts and throw their 200, 220 innings, I think they get to the postseason. If both struggle to stay healthy, I think this team probably finishes in the 84 win range, and I don't know if that's enough. We we've looked at it since 2012, since the postseason expanded to five teams, the sixth place team in each league averaged 87 wins. 87 is the magic number, and I think if those pitchers don't stay healthy, the Mets finish under that more in the 83, 84 range.
1: Yeah, that's reasonable. They, um, the internal pitching depth is not there. It would require going out of organization to add another. Um, trusted playoff-caliber starter? We
0: will, we will see. I mean, again, we do know the Mets are not afraid to trade prospects to go get Major League help, and they do have some intriguing prospects to top their systems. That is a possibility. Matt, again, we've talked about the Dodgers, how good they are. The Braves the defending champions. The Mets are most buzzworthy. The Giants, the team that won the most games in baseball last year, they were the biggest surprise. They won 107 games, got to Game Five of the NLDS against the Dodgers, and came down to the ninth inning. I mean, Cody Bellinger hit a tie-breaking single, and then the Giants had a chance in the bottom of the ninth, and a bad check swing call eliminated them. Can they surprise again? You know, how much of that do you think is sustainable? Again, I don't think anyone thinks they're going to win 107 games again, but. What do you make of the Giants this year? Can they be a contender again, or do you think it was more of a one-year fluke?
1: I think they'll be good. I think they've been good for a couple of years. Um, obviously, I, my expectation is they will take a, a big step back from 107 wins. I mean, the, the lineup core is still old. Um, they are without Donnie Eckerd this year. We'll see what impact that has. But I do think there's enough pieces here to um, actually to, to win a wild-card spot. I think they made some smart pitching decisions. Carlos Rodon is a, is a good gamble. Alex Cobb is a good gamble, know, especially when you put them in the context of this park. Um, and, you know, so, some younger players could step up. You know, Joey Bart, the rookie catcher. Uh, Tyro Estrada, to me, looks like a pretty nice young player.
0: Uh, so I do think there is certain wildcard potential here. So I think the loss of Buster Posey is really, really, really huge. What he did for that team, both in the lineup and what he did with that pitching staff. I do not think it's a coincidence that a lot of pitchers that they had struggled in 2020 got a lot better in 2021. Buster Posey deserves a lot of credit for that. I think his retirement is going to significantly affect this team. I'm talking 10 to 12 wins. Um, I also think, again, it's a minor thing, but losing Donovan Solano, that was a really good pickup for them. It was a high contact bat. He's no longer there. He's in Cincinnati now. And Chris Bryant was, it was a good acquisition for them. We saw they had to go get some outfield help. I think this team is, is going to be respectable. I, I do. I think this is a solid starting five. It's not a great starting five, but it's a solid starting five. It's a solid bullpen. There's some good arms in there, and we've seen the ability to mix and match. However, I'm a little concerned that Evan Longoria, Tommy Lastella, Lamont Wade are all opening the year on the injured list. I actually have my doubts here. I actually think there's a chance this Giants team falls hard back to earth, and they fall more into the 85-86 win range. I think the that's, loss of-
1: That's That's 20 loss. That's 20. I know. I think Buster. A Posey, of, you said ten to twelve earlier, but now you're saying twenty. I think, so I
0: think Buster Posey alone is ten to twelve. I think all the other things that start adding up. I think I look at this team and I see an 85, 86 win team. I think that that even though Buster Posey's not a ten to twelve WAR player, I'm not talking about WAR. I'm talking about everything he did for that pitching staff and that lineup. Losing him is huge. So I, I think I think this team will be respectable. I actually think they're going to finish in third place in the NL West. I'm predicting a big step back for the Giants. And in October, when Farhan Zaidi and all of them have proved way smarter than me and win 97 games, you can throw this back in my face. Um, I I think they're due for a big come down, but we'll see what happens. Matt, the Braves won 88 games last year, but they were great in the second half, got really hot in the postseason, and won a World Series. They lost Freddie Freeman, who is a franchise icon, replaced him by trading for Matt Olsen. We've talked about the Mets, everything they've done to upgrade this offseason. The Phillies loaded up on some more impact bats, and they also tried to fix their bullpen a little bit. Are the Braves still the favorites in the NL East after losing Freddie Freeman just because of how big he was for that club? And they lost some other good players too, Jorge Soler, World Series MVP, being among them. Uh, For me, yes. They're still the best team in the division,
1: I think. Signing Kenley Jansen and Colin McHugh is kind of sneaky for a bullpen that was, you know, probably, you know, just despite their heroics last offseason, last postseason, was a little bit too left-handed. I think they really got some different looks, and it's really going to help them in in the end of games. Uh, They have depth, unlike the Phillies or Mets. Uh, You know, they have AAA players they can bring up who will be more than serviceable, and you know they managed to replace Freeman with. Another strong player. I'm not saying he's as good a hitter, but Matt Olson is certainly a strong
0: uh, player. So I, I think they're in very good shape for 2022. I agree. The Braves, are the four time defending division champions, they're the defending World Series champion. I, I mentioned earlier, I think them and the Dodgers are the clear cut two best teams in the National League. I think there's a gap between them and the Brewers, Mets, Cardinals, kind of the, the second group of teams that you're looking at possibly contending. So I see no reason to doubt the Braves. Freddie Freeman's loss is huge. And, you know, it's interesting. I, we talked about big-name guy changing leagues. I actually wouldn't be surprised to see Matt Olson struggle a little bit this year. Just, again, changing leagues, coming home, a lot of pressure. I, I wouldn't be shocked if he has a little bit of a down year this year just because it, it happens. But I, over the course of that contract, he'll be a good player. And this is still a really talented team. If Mike Soroka comes back from from injury and can finally stay healthy, this might be the best rotation in the National League. I I have some questions at the back, but again, you're you're nitpicking a, a really good team that I think will absolutely be in the thick of contention. Matt, at this time last year, the Padres were the talk of baseball. They had gone out. They acquired Blake Snell. You, Darvish, Joe Musgrove, they they spent money. to go sign Haas on Kim. I mean, they were the talk of baseball as the team that was going to challenge the Dodgers in the National League West. That fell flat hard. Potters finished under 500, nowhere near playoff contention. Uh, they skidded to a, a 4-18 finish. The end of the season was, was just awful. Manager Jace Tingler was fired. The entire coaching staff was effectively replaced. And they weren't able to really make any significant, significant additions this year on par with what they had in previous years. Although here post-lockout getting Luke Voigt and Sean Maniah were certainly two nice upgrades. Is this the year the Padres bounce back? It's funny, the year everyone was talking about them, they completely fell flat. But now that people aren't really talking about them, do you think they actually have a chance to surprise it? And maybe this is the year they get back to a winning record and contend for a postseason spot?
1: Yeah, it's possible. I mean, I see a lot of upside potential with these players who might have stumbled a bit last year. I think there's a lot of, uh, a lot of you know, positive regression here. You know, the bottom of the lineup is potentially pretty poor, but I think they're strong in most other areas. Um, you know, I think the Manaya and Voight acquisitions, as you mentioned, are huge and will help them weather the loss of Tatis for, you know, half a season. And, and what do you think?
0: I think the Padres are due for a big bounce back year. I mean, what really sunk them last year was a lack of starting pitching depth, and that's much less of an issue this year. Um, the Adam and I have signed Nick Martinez. We'll see what he's able to do coming back from Japan. But, you know, Clevenger's going to be back. He, he's down with knee soreness now, but he's back from Tommy John surgery. You'll get Adrian Moore back during the year. And you have right now Chris Paddock, Ryan Weathers, and Mackenzie Gore set to open in A. And I mean, last year, Paddock was part of this rotation. Weathers was part of this rotation. They struggled, but you know, you feel pretty good when those are your six, seven options. I think right now uh, this lineup, uh, this rotation, excuse me, is just so, so, so much deeper. It's going to help them weather things. They're not going to have to dumpster dive and go find Jake Arietta and Vince Velasquez just to get through the season in September as they did last year. I think that's going to make a big difference. Uh, I think the new coaching staff has a chance to get more out of Will Myers and Eric Hosmer than the previous coaching staff did. We'll see if those guys can step up. A lot of what the Padres need is going to have to come from internal improvements from those guys, as well as Trent Grisham and Hassan Kim. I think this team though is well positioned. I actually picked them to finish second. I think they'll win somewhere around 90 games, take a wild card spot. I don't consider them a threat to the Dodgers. I don't consider them a world series contender, but as much as the A.J. Preller era has resulted in a lot of flash and flair and headlines, the Padres have one winning record in the seven seasons since Preller took over as a GM, and that was the shortened 2020 season. I think they're going to do whatever is necessary to have a winning record and really contend. I think they made some smart moves in their budget constraints this offseason with Voight and Manaya. I just think this team is probably better equipped to get through the season from a pitching perspective, and I think having Bob Melvin will help a lot. Yeah, I agree with that. All right, Matt, we just talked about four teams who have playoff aspirations. The other thing I'm going to be watching in the National League this year is four teams that have no playoff aspirations. (laughs) It's the four teams that are very, very clearly rebuilding, the Pirates, Cubs, Nationals, and Reds. The Pirates got the rebuild started in 2020. The Cubs and Nationals got their rebuild started last summer. The Reds got their rebuild started this offseason. It's tough to compare them directly because they're all in different stages and different places. I have to ask, which rebuild are you highest on, just looking at the, the talent in place that these organizations have?
1: Ooh. So uh, absolute long term, you know, the pirates have the best farm system but the bleakest present Um, the Cubs have demonstrated an ability to do it before and have a pretty good farm system, or at least an improving one. Man, that is really tough. I I might just side with the Cubs just because, you know, they have the internal, the organizational institutional know-how they have the, they have the pocketbook um, and they have the, Kind of the outline of, of some future uh, value on their team right now. How about you?
0: It's tough. I think what was interesting, I referenced this on the American League preview podcast, but I did uh, the big future for us in our season preview issue where I, I talked to front office officials around the game about which rebuild they're most bullish on between the Orioles, Tigers, Royals, and Pirates. And one of the things that came up and surprised me a little bit was just how much optimism there is surrounding the Pirates rebuild. Uh, This is a very, very good farm system. We knew that. They've done a really, really nice job of acquiring a lot of depth and frontline talent. The counter, of course, is in order to do that, the Pirates have had two of the three worst winning percentages the franchise has had in the last 60 years, the last two seasons. And this is a franchise with a lot of really bad seasons. This is a franchise with a lot of futility and two of the three worst have been the last two years. I mean, it's been atrocious in the big leagues. There's a lot of faith in Ben Charrington. That was one of my biggest takeaways from doing that is just the universal respect around the game that Ben Charrington commands. And I think with that, there's reason for optimism. When you look at the long-term talent pool here, combine that with, with the front office, a lot of people are very bullish on a nice outlook, but at a certain point all rebuilding teams need to spend money and as I, I laid out in my story since Bob Nutting became the principal owner, the Pirates have never had a payroll higher than 20th and that's that's something that mm-hmm. could short circuit a rebuild. So the, That's a tough one there. I, I like what the Nationals did at the deadline last year mm-hmm. but this farm system is just so, so, so barren and empty. It's hard to feel great when you look at everything they're going to need. There's a lot more draft picks and international signing periods to come before we, I think we get a real sense of what that's going to look like. The Reds are actually interesting to me because they just gave away a boatload of talent, didn't even try to re-sign some guys, and, and I actually thought they did very poorly in most of their trades this offseason. That's something that I think has a chance to set the franchise back a little bit. But they have the most talent ready to help now. You look at Hunter Green. You look at Nick Lodolo. I think the opportunities that Tyler Stevenson's going to get, you have reigning rookie of the year, Jonathan India. You know, Kyle Farmer kind of emerged last year was perfectly respectable. I, I actually feel okay about the Reds, just given what they kind of have in terms of young guys, AAA in the majors. That might be the one. That, the Cubs are just so high variance because their guys are so young. Those guys could form the core of a next great lineup and those guys could also never get out of double A. It's just so, so, so raw and so far away. And again, I kind of chuckle when I hear Cubs fans saying they could be good 2022, 2023. This this is a 2024, 2025 at the earliest. These guys need time to matriculate. It's going to be a while. I it's crazy as it sounds the reds might be my pick, but I don't feel great about any of these. Like I look at the AL rebuilds. I'm like, yep. Tigers feel really good about it. Royals. I can see the outline of it, even if I don't fully believe in it. All four of these rebuilds there, there's a yes, this, but no, this. And I, I really have no idea how it's going to shake out.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think the Cubs have a somewhat shades of, of the brewers where they didn't tear all the way down. And then, and they just kind of, you know, made made a few key transactions. I think the Cubs did a lot of a lot of excellent maneuvering during the trade deadline last year and into the off season to set them up for the future. I do like the Reds too, though. I think they're, they have a sneaky good farm system. It, it's just a question of things don't seem to come together and gel for that team for, for whatever reason. So that that might change.
0: Yeah. Again, and some of that's been ownership and money and willingness to spend. But we'll see. I will say the Cubs. They were very, very smart in going out and signing all the pitching they did because they did not have the arms to get through the season within their organization. Signing Marcus Stroman, signing Drew Smiley, picking up Wade Miley off of waivers. It was important that they did that because otherwise Mm -hmm. I had no idea how they were going to get through the season. So we'll see. And and again, you can see the outline of Say Suzuki was a nice signing. You you have Nick Madrigal and Nico Horner up the middle you can work with. So there are pieces in place, but there's also a lot of guys in this lineup right now who are just placeholders until they get respectable mm-hmm. again or guys who will probably get traded. So yeah, it's, it's it's a long way off for the Cubs and we'll see what happens. But uh, I think that's going to be sort of interesting to watch which of those four rebuilds kind of takes a step forward. All right, Matt, I, I want to break down each division with you. Um, first, we're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors.
2: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all.
0: of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. And we are back with Matt Eddy, breaking down the National League for the 2022 season, breaking down uh, everything we think is going to happen for our full preview. All right, Matt, we talked about the Braves and the Mets, and we talked about the Nationals a little bit. When you look at the NL East, the Phillies did break through in some ways last year. They had their first winning record since 2011. And they're kind of an interesting team to me because this team last year went 82 and 80 with a bullpen that tied the record for most blown saves in Major League Baseball history. They blew 34 saves last year. And if their bullpen is just merely bad, not historically awful. I mean, we're talking about if it's just bad and they blow 22 saves, they're a 94-win team. I, you know, they did some things in the offseason. They signed Corey Canable, They signed Juris Familia. They signed Brad Hand, all guys who have closing experience. Hand really struggled at the end of last year, so we have to see what he really has left in him. But I kind of look at this team, and it really is a case of, look, the defense is not going to be good. That was true last year. That contributed to the bullpen struggles. But it's a good lineup. The rotation's not half bad at all. And if their bullpen is merely bad and not historically awful, this is a 90-plus win team a year ago. So I'm kind of intrigued by them a little bit. What are your thoughts on the Phillies and how realistic it is for them to contend for a postseason spot this year?
1: Yeah, I think it's a possibility. I mean, I, I think they will have a winning record. Um, yeah. I mean, you hit on all the highlights, adding Castellanos, and adding Schwarber, and then the rookie Bryson Stott to a lineup that was already pretty good. I think that, that will help them. Getting, getting some more favorable results from Marinola will help. You know, he's probably not going to approach the Cy Young contender again, but he could, he could have a season where he's, um, you know, a true number one type of guy. And you know the bullpen. <laughs> I think they're going to need some internal guys to step up because it's not difficult to envision Jose Alvarado and Jaris Familia and Brad Hand struggling to hold leads. Um, but I think it's possible. I think it's it's within the
0: within the um, within the range of possibilities. I think this is the most fascinating team this year because again they're going to hit. They're not going to play great defense, but. I, I could see it working where, again, if that bullpen blows 20 saves instead of 34, this could be a team that wins 90 games and wins a wild card. I, I wouldn't pick them to take down the Braves for the division, but if you told me that you know the Mets struggle to stay healthy or just things that seem to only happen to the Mets happen again, could the Phillies win 88? 90 games this second place and, and get the fifth or sixth spot in the national league and, and make it as a wild card. I can see it. I can also see this bullpen imploding again and just way too many outs are given away on the defensive side of the ball again, and they struggle and we're looking more at 82 wins again. I think both outcomes are, are very, very realistic and very, very possible. And I I'm going to be fascinated to watch them. And, and Matt, the other team in this division that, doesn't get talked about a lot because they're generally not successful, but there is a core of talent to work with, and that's the Miami Marlins. Again, it's kind of the same story. They have one of the best young pitching staffs in Major League Baseball. You can start Sandy Alcantara, Trevor Rogers, and Pablo Lopez as your top three. That's a really freaking good top three, a top three that's way better than I think a lot of people even know or realize. We'll see if they can figure Jesus Lazardo out, but given their track record in fixing and helping pitchers, I'll, I'll bet on it. And oh, by the way, Eliezer Hernandez, a Roll Five pick, has actually been pretty effective when he's been healthy. So it's a good rotation, although Hernandez just got hit by a liner and suffered a forearm bruise, poor guy. Um, it's a really good rotation. They just need bats. And in fairness, they did go out and spend this year. They signed Avisel Garcia. They signed Jorge Soler. They traded for Jacob Stallings, Uh, you know, Garcia and Soler, they spent nearly $90 million on. So it's not like they were just cheaping out like the Marlins have done historically. What do you make of this team? What do you think of this team?
1: No, I think you're right. I think they do have the potential to be good. Um, They do have some, they have farm depth. They can go and get, upgrades too that's the one thing they might have an advantage on the on the Mets and Phillies in particular they actually have pieces to trade Um, and you know if they are in contention I think they're going to need to do that because they're not particularly deep at the major league level outside of the rotation which is very strong as you said Um, but but I do agree with everything you said about their upside potential
0: yeah Max Meyer and Edward Cabrera can come up and help we saw Cabrera make his debut last year can I make a prediction I predict that when Ramon Laureato comes off of suspension, he will be playing for the A's for two weeks, and then he ends up in Miami. I think they're mm-hmm. going to make that. I think I th- they need a center fielder in the worst way. I think that's going to be their solution. And, look, I mean, you start a lineup, go Chisholm, Soler, Garrett Cooper, who's, who's a productive hitter when he's been healthy. Alviso Garcia is productive. They probably overpaid, but he's productive. Jesus mm-hmm. Aguilar is ageless. He's still productive. We've seen good things from Brian Anderson. It's not a playoff caliber lineup, but I think if they add a center fielder, it has a chance to be an okay lineup. And an okay lineup with that starting rotation has a chance to be a respectable team. And if you know they get a couple breaks and make a trade deadline splash. I don't know. I, there's something here. This is not the Marlins of old, where you just pencil them in to go 67 and 95 and not contend, although that is what they did last year. I think there's something there, and it, I don't know. I, I kind of think the NL East is going to be the most competitive division around this year, just because I, I think that you know you have those three teams we talked about with the Braves, Mets, and Phillies, and I I don't think the Marlins are an easy out necessarily. All right, Matt. That pretty much wraps up the East. Again, we talked about the Nationals. They, they need a lot to happen here. This is a building year. In regards to the Central, the Brewers are the defending division champions. The Cardinals are a perennial power. That's always in the mix. And I feel fairly secure in saying we'll be the top two teams in the division this year. Who are you picking?
1: For me, it's the Brewers. I know run scoring is, a, is an issue. It still is. Um, even you know, despite the addition of Andrew McCutcheon, you know, a full season from Willie Adams. that'll help. Uh, Hunter Renfro's in the lineup now, too. Those will all help, you know. Um, but this is, you know, the pitching and just the, just the way Craig Council is able to manage his personnel. I think those are the separators
0: in this division. Yeah, I mean, this is the best rotation of the National League, one through five. I think there's not really anyone else in the discussion. There are others you can maybe say one through four, one through three, but one through five, it's, it's the Brewers running away, and they have more coming up with Aaron Ashby potentially. You know, seeing Willie Adamas and Luis Urias take steps forward last year, I think was really, really promising, especially for Brewers, uh, their ability to help position players get better. The wild card here is Keston Hira, and if he can rediscover his former self, that's a huge addition to this lineup. Again, it's not a great lineup, but it has a chance to be a cromulent lineup. And the biggest X factor of all is Christian Yelich, if he can get back to his MVP form. I think all these things are possibilities. We just have to wait and see. I will say with the Cardinals, you know, if Jack Flaherty didn't get hurt, I would pick them. I would pick them to take the Brewers down just because I think their rotation, now that you get Miles Michaelis and Dakota Hudson back – if you add that to Flaherty, you add that to Adam Wainwright. Steven Matz was really good last year. In Toronto, now he goes to St. Louis, which we saw get the most out of uh, guys like Jay Happ and John Lester last year. I, I would have picked the Cardinals to take down the Brewers because I like their lineup significantly more, and I think the rotation would have been really good. But Jack Flaherty going down, I mean, that's that's a number one or two starter. That's, hard, that, that's a big, big loss. We just don't know what his outlook's going to be after – lot of issues last year too I mean you know shoulder stuff it it can be a problem so I think that uncertainty I feel like you know give the nod to the Brewers they're the defending champs they're the team that's done it and I think ultimately they will be in the mix once again yeah you know if not for that Flaherty injury though I would be picking the Cardinals yeah there's a lot to like with the Cardinals and
1: You mentioned their reputation to, I mean, they always play well. They seem to exceed expectations all the time. I think, you know, it's a function of how well they run this version of the Cardinals plays defense very well, which will help the pitching staff. And they had a lot of upper levels players emerge last year who could help them this season. So you you always like to see that for sustainability.
0: I also think year two, Nolan Arenado in St. Louis, we'll see better performance. He wasn't terrible last year, but he wasn't great. I think his second year there, a little more comfort. I think we'll have a nice year from him. We kind of hit on the Cubs a little bit. The fact they overhauled the pitching staff and they get to play the Reds and Pirates a lot, to rebuilding teams that are probably presently in a little worse shape than they are. Are they better than we think? Do you think they could approach anything 81 wins, or are they more of a 70s? To me, I look at this team and I see a 71 win team, but I don't know. Over after overhauling the pitching staff, bringing in Stroman and Smiley and Miley, there's a part of me that wonders if they could exceed expectations a little bit. What are your thoughts on the Cubs and their potential for 2022?
1: Yeah, I think it is possible they could nudge near 500. You know, I. But there's also the potential that they're way out of it. Trade Wilson Contreras, and it's just another building year. But it, it, it seems odd that they would make some of the moves they did without expecting to kind of you know be in a competitive spirit this year and potentially build to a playoff team in the next two or three years.
0: Yeah, again, I, I still see a lot of guys I have to see if Frank Schwindel and Patrick Wisdom can carry over their strong half seasons last year into a strong full season. But, yeah, again, I, I – I think this is a 71-win team that, if you mean by surprise, be better than think. Is there a scenario they win 81 games? Yeah, it it comes from beating up on the Pirates and Reds. I think that's where that happens. But we'll see. Again, this is a team that is a couple years away. It's not a 2023 type of playoff team. Matt, I talked about the Pirates and my thoughts on them a little bit. How much faith do you have? Because one of the biggest things, and I wrote about this a little bit, is organizationally, there's a history of failing to get the most from the guys they have in their own system. Garrett Cole, Tyler Glasnow, Austin Meadows being the biggest examples. But you even look, Mitch Keller and Cabrian Hayes have a lot of questions about where they are, what they can realistically provide. And frankly, right now, they kind of need those two to step up because outside of Brian Reynolds, this is just a terrible team without a lot of optimism anywhere in the near term and I think this is probably the worst starting rotation in the major leagues what are your thoughts on the Pirates and and how close they are and what has to happen
1: yeah the the nature of their farm system with so many players so far away and it's almost more of a depth approach than a a star um, prospect approach I, I do think it's really high variance you know I mean you mentioned the faith that the industry has in Charrington, and I think that's real. And I think their new approach to player development, I think that's going to help them avoid some of the pitfalls of the past. Um, but this this could be a long process. I don't, I, you know, and, 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 and to me, it's not in focus exactly how good they're going to be quite yet.
0: I'm going to talk about the Pirates who have a long, long, long track record of futility, at least in my lifetime, which now goes back to, Really, since 1992, they had a good three-year stretch. And other than that, it's been mostly terrible for the better part of 30 years. I just go back to two of their three worst seasons in the last 60 years came their last two years. And and you look at this present lineup, this team could be every bit as bad, if not worse, than those teams. So a lot has to happen. It's many years away. Again, you do a tear-it-all-down rebuild. They started really in 2020. That means 2024 is the absolute earliest they can expect to be anywhere near contention. And it's probably going to be a little bit longer. We'll see how some of these guys who were at the lower levels last year progressed to the upper levels this year. But yeah, I don't feel great about this rebuild. I don't feel horrible about this rebuild. To me, this is a, we got to wait and see because it's so bad right now. It's going to take Many more drafts, many more international signing periods before the talent is in place. I think for this team to be competitive again, as, as much as they have some really impressive prospect depth, it's going to take even more than what they have. That's how much of a mess they are right now.
1: I would say one other nice thing, and that's that their pro, pro acquisitions seem to be very strong under Charrington. Um, getting Diego Castillo from the Yankees in that trade looking like a key pickup. Um, uh, Rowan Z Contreras, also from the Yankees in the Tyone trade, also looks like a good pickup. So, I think if you wanted to hang your hat on on one element of the rebuild, it would, might be that. And and those poor acquisitions are so crucial.
0: There was one acquisition last year I actually liked a lot, and that was actually Yoshi Sutsugo. They just picked him up, stuck him lineup every day, didn't try and platoon him, just let him get every day at bats, and we saw the power start to come out. It's a small sample; it's forty three games, but. I think he was not a good fit for the Rays. He needed every day at-bats. He couldn't get them there, just the way the Rays do things. We'll see. I think overall there's a chance that he has a nice year and maybe helps him be a little more respectable, but we'll see what happens. Matt, finally, we talked about the Reds a little bit. I asked this question of Jeff on the American League podcast. I want to ask you the same. Which teardown would you say was more disappointing, the Reds or the A's?
1: Well, the A's, I mean, <laughs> part of it's the sentimentality of parting with just Olson and Chapman, just two of your best player development success stories. That hurts. Um, that really hurts. Then you have the ballpark situation, the potential for the franchise relocation. It's not good. It's not a good time to be a, an A's fan.
0: Yeah. I mentioned this, you know, on the other podcast, I think the, A's teardown is more disappointing because they were a better team back-to-back 97-win seasons uh, than on 97-win pace in 2020. And last year they were in the postseason picture uh, until the final two weeks of the season. Whereas the Reds, it was always a little more fringy. They were barely over 500 last two seasons. At the same time, I I think the A's got more for their guys than the Reds got for their guys in the teardown. For sure. so in, that, in that sense, that's where I, I think there's an argument the Reds are more disappointing in that they tore it down and they got so much less than the A's did. Yeah, they're, they're a team that has, we talked about, some upper-level prospects who are ready for the majors or young big leaguers like Tyler Stevenson and Jonathan India to work with. So they're not a horrible, horrible team that's just going to be a mess this year. But at the same time, looking at the trades they made, and the guys they let go in for agency, they just didn't get anywhere near enough. Um, and I think ultimately, it, it's tough to come back from that. But we'll see what they're able to do. I,
1: I'm sorry. I really like the, the Oakland acquisitions in the trade. I think the focus on run prevention is going to be key. I think they got a lot of intriguing pitchers and guys who can play defense. So, you know, we'll see if they hit enough to, to become contenders down the line. But I do like the foundation they're putting in place.
0: All right, Matt, wrapping up with the National League West, we talked about the Dodgers, we talked about the Giants, the Rockies. uh, I wrote about this in the power rankings today. They're probably the most confounding organization in baseball. And what I mean by that is sometimes it, it seems like they're talked about as if they're this hapless franchise that has never done anything right. And is just completely broken from top to bottom. And it's not really accurate. Back to back postseasons, 2017, 2018, they took the Dodgers to game 163 in 2018, and they did that with the most homegrown roster of any postseason team. If you look back over the last really any increment you want 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, the Rockies have been as good as almost any other franchise in terms of homegrown drafting and player development. And we're seeing some of that still today. Brendan Rodgers is probably going to have a nice year, Ryan McMahon has got a nice extension. And you kind of look at this roster and just kind of go across, I mean, go across the outfield, Bryant, Gritchick, Blackman, you know, in the infield, you have McMahon, you have Rogers, you have CJ Cron, who's productive, Connor Joe, someone a lot of people think is going to be in for a big year. And the top four of that rotation, it's not a bad group. With Senzatella and Marquez and Freeland and Gomber, there is talent here and there's a long track record here of successfully drafting and developing talent. They just make really poor decisions at the major league level from a roster standpoint. And that's the most important thing. The Nolan Arenado trade was a case study in roster mismanagement and mismanaging a star player. Not even giving John Gray a qualifying offer is completely and utterly inexplicable. So on the one hand, it, it's just, they just do so many things at the major league level that are avoidable and it's tough because this is not a broken franchise top to bottom. Like I think sometimes people make it out to be, they do drafting and developing really well. Again, you pull up this roster. It's not a bad team, but it's not a great team either. And a lot of that is just that putting all the pieces in place and making the right decisions at the major league level just keeps not really being there.
1: Yeah. I mean, to their credit, you know, spending the money they did on Chris Bryant and on extending some of the players like McMahon Um, and uh, Ramon Marquez it's better than throwing that money away on the relievers like they did post um, the last playoff peak I'll give them credit for that I would be a lot more optimistic about this current group if the farm system was in better shape Um, but yeah that, that (laughs) that goes to your point about confounding roster construction
0: it's one of those things where, and again, this is not a team that has been losing 100 games every year. They're they're in the 70s, wins totals. I mean, they're, they're never atrocious, but they're also just not quite good enough. Yeah, I mean, when you compare them to the D-backs, I think it's fair to say these are the bottom two teams in that division. Overall, the D-backs are a team that feels like, again, you look at the players in their roster, and the last couple of years, they've been worse than they should be. When you look at the talent on the field, just hasn't really fit together. When you look at these two teams, I mean, which one do you feel better about potentially competing anytime in the near future?
1: Oh, Arizona for sure. I think they were, I think the record last year, as bad as it was, probably was not a true reflection of the talent on this team. Um, I'm not saying they're a, a playoff team or anything this year, but I think there is reason for optimism. Good on the farm system. We have some potential franchise hitters, guys like Corbin Carroll, Jordan Lawler has a chance to be really good. Um, the pitching depth is greatly improved and is going to start to be uh, matriculating as soon as this year. I think for the next few years, the pitching staff is going to be built out significantly. Um, I think they're in a pretty good place. And plus, they have all the, the draft capital they're going to have from this upcoming draft and probably the next one. So I think I they're think the positioned pretty well.
0: Yeah, again, the Diamondbacks have a good system. I'm actually up here right now in Las Vegas as we record this podcast, seeing some of their guys up in Reno. I can look at Alec Thomas and and Ryan Nelson on the mound. And, yeah, again, I think you look at the farm system and some of the young talent, the D-backs, there are certainly things to like. Now, I just go back to the Rockies. They just need to – there's talent there. They just got to make some better decisions with it at the highest level, which is what counts in the end. Yeah, I mean, again, I think with the D-backs, Dalton Varsho really had a good second half last year. And really just a, a piece, I think, that you can build with moving forward. They extended Ketel Marte, who's a really good player when healthy. We still have to see what Carson Kelly can give them. He's shown some good, some not so good. I am a big Geraldo Perdomo fan. Again, has to prove it. I think there are players to build with here. Paven Smith was solid as a rookie last year. Not great, but solid. And then you look at Gallon Mm -hmm. and Weaver in the rotation. There are players to work with. I'm just, I think what's giving me pause is it's now been two years in a row where you look at the D-backs and they've really underperformed. The Orioles losing 110 games last year, totally predictable. That was a team that went into the season making no attempt to even try. They should have been charging AAA ticket prices on opening day because they were going to field a AAA team, essentially. The fact that Diamondbacks lost 110 games last year, it's kind of like how? And and the answer is injuries. The answer is trying to force versatility on some guys who maybe aren't that versatile. Again, versatility is great, but the players actually have to be versatile. They had a lot of guys playing out of position, and to their credit – they came out and said it openly. They recognized that. They probably need to do a little better job of that. Not everyone can play multiple positions at a major league caliber level. Even 2020, I thought they underachieved. I thought they would be a good team even in a shortened season. They finished last in the West. It's tough. Again, this is the last place team in the West the last two years, not the Rockies. The Rockies were 20 teams better than the Diamondbacks were last year. And I just I, I don't know how to kind of square all that. The Diamondbacks just consistently underachieving with the Rockies front office, just not ever really doing what should be done. I shouldn't say ever the last couple of years, not really doing what needs to be done. So I don't know. I think this is kind of one of those like subplots of which of these teams is going to emerge. And I don't have the answer. I think there's points in favor of and against both directions.
1: I, yeah. I think the farm system is the separator for the Diamondbacks. Not only do they have, have they, I think they've drafted a little better and they and they get guys who, who pop up and emerge during the season. You know, we, we saw that with Ryan Nelson and Davis on De los Santos and, and AJ Vukovic last year. I mean, that's, that's a sign to me of a of, of farm system and player development moving in the right direction.
0: Yeah. Again, there's, there's a lot of talent coming up the pipeline in Arizona and I, I, I'm seeing some of it tonight. I'm going to see more of it this year in Visalia. And um, there's reasons to be bullish. It's just, again, we'll see how uh, how it all shakes out. In uh, about three years, we'll come back on another podcast and discuss uh, what actually happened. <laughs> Matt, any final thoughts as we wrap up our National League preview here?
1: Uh, just that I'm changing my World Series pick to Diamondbacks.
0: <laughs> all right. You're here first, 2020 World Series <laughs> Champion Diamondbacks. There actually is one question I do want to ask you. I think we're both on the same page that the Dodgers and Braves are are the clear-cut top two teams in this league. Is there a team that you would say is also a World Series contender that's maybe a little bit under the radar? Again, who's this year's Giants, a team that could come out of nowhere and win a crazy number of games? Well, the Marlins
1: are that pick in the National League. Um, I think in terms of another team that could win the pennant, I think the Brewers are in the discussion especially if they hit more than we think they do. Um, I think the, there is a scenario where the Giants are that team. I, I, I agree with you. They're going to regress quite a bit, uh, and, and the Padres. Um, but to me, the, the actual absolute surprise of surprise teams would be the Marlins.
0: I think the Padres are going to be much improved. I think the surprise of surprise, and I, I am not picking this to happen, but I just keep finding myself drawn against the Phillies where, again, that bullpen, forget that. If that's an average bullpen, they went 95 games last year, probably more. And I just, I don't know if it's really been sufficiently fixed and the defense certainly has not been sufficiently fixed, but I don't know. I, I keep going back to that's the team that with modest improvements in some areas that you can reasonably improve year over year, they could be a team that surprises people. That said, I'm not going to go out on a limb for it. Uh, to me, it's still the Dodgers and the Braves and the NLCS when all's said and done.
1: Yeah. The, uh, another issue the Phillies might encounter is just what they have to trade unless their new player development system really, really kicks into high gear. I don't think they're going to have a ton unless they want to take on payroll and they've already taken on a lot.
0: Yeah, no question. There's certainly barriers to it. This is, this is me just making my who's no one thinking of that could pop pick and it's 95% it won't pop, but there's 5% chance it does. So, all right, Matt, well uh, thank you so much for joining me. We appreciate your insight as always. And uh, I'm certainly ready for opening day. Thanks Kyle. All right, everyone, that'll do it for another Baseball America podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Matt Eddy, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody.